0: Hello, welcome to your hyperlocal progressive political podcast, Radio Free Bay Ridge. I'm your host today, Mary Hedex, and today I've wrestled the microphone away from Dan so I can maybe stretch the definition of hyperlocal and political so I can talk some more today about art. Some people maybe don't see the connection there, but I would make an argument that what's more political than art, but more specifically art that centers community, that centers science and technology and environmentalism. And so today I've invited two local Bay Ridge artists. We have Janine Bardo. Hi, Mary. (laughs) And Elena Soderakis. Hello. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. We're happy to be here. Now, I met both of you guys through Stand 4, and I invited you in today because this is a gallery here in Bay Ridge. I just showed up one day and was like, there's all these cool artists here. (laughs) So how did that happen? I just woke up to this one day, but you guys must have been working on that a while. (laughs)
1: Well, Stand has been open for about two and a half years. I met a lot of the artists in Bay Ridge through my project that was called Stand. I was doing pop-up shows in the community. I would go to a space and I would design a narrative around that place and then I would put out a call to artists and then do a pop-up show. We had a show in a carriage house that was really nice on 69th Street. Like It's the beautiful row house on the corner. Mm. It's something I always used to run past and love it. Mm-hmm. I. Got to that house because I did a show at Reach Paper, and that was one of the pop-up shows. And that's where I met most of the Bay Ridge artists. I think John Avaluto might have put a call out and saying, hey, artist, I didn't meet John before that. And I met him at the paper show. But at that show, Elena Mm -hmm. had a piece in that show, Tamara Mm Zahikovic, John Avaluto. And Annalise Jensen didn't have work in that show, but a friend of hers submitted some work. And I got to know Annalise through that one mm-hmm. as well. So the paper show was like a real connector. And then the woman who owned that house was at the show. And she said to me, I have this really nice garage. Are you interested in doing it? So mm-hmm. so that's how those shows came about. So we did seven shows in the community. Isabel Garbani became a part of it. So a lot of the artists I met through that first project that I was doing. And then um, I was looking for a studio space. And I thought maybe I'd look for a storefront. While I was looking for a storefront, the real estate person showed me this doctor's office and I walked in and it was just perfect. A doctor's office? Yes. So you could still see the medical office. You know, the awning still says medical office. I haven't done anything about that yet. I like that
2: you kept that up. Yeah, I kind of like
1: it. Yeah. Because it's like, I feel like we're we're, we're fixing things, you know. (laughs) The space itself has four studio spaces and I have my studio there. John Avaluto did have a studio space for a little while, but he's definitely still a part of the space. David Gitt, Danielle Bullock, and there's a new artist, but community member, Joni Flickinger, who's in there now. And we have Elena, who's going to have her solo show in uh, September. So Isabel Garbani is also organizing a show of Middle Eastern artists from the US and from overseas in November.
0: I think there was an exhibit that was all Italian or Italian-American artists. Yes. John Evoluto organized that one. The first show was
1: I curated with Molly Flanagan. She lives in Bay Ridge as well. We brought together a group of artists that were dealing with environmental issues. What was
0: the title of that show?
1: That was called Reconceived Notions. Mm -hmm. From that show, one of the artists really liked the space and the mission of the space because the mission of the space is really to bring community into it and bring art to the community. And that's how I started the STAND project. The brick and mortar space is called Stand Four because it has four studios, and we should be standing for something. That's the point of anything that comes into the space. It's uh, not that
0: the name of the place is a call to action
1: mm-hmm. itself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, exactly.
0: I did want to ask you, what's so perfect about having an art space in a doctor's office? It sounds really corny, and I, I kind of like the idea of, I feel like we should
1: be healing thing. I, I really do. I literally, I really feel like we should be healers. It sounds very Kumbaya, I know, but... <laughs>
0: I <laughs> That's what I we're here for. What do
1: you think this podcast is about?
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's great. And here I, I just thought it was because there were sinks installed in all of the examination rooms. <laughs> that's that's true, true, too. Yeah, yeah that's, that's true, too. We have the
2: physical space. Exactly. Itself. Like the lobby areas, the gallery. I mean, it does work yeah, very well it does. as an art space. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
0: for the art studio specifically when you yeah, need to they, clean they, out brushes
1: ha- or exact, whatever. Right. Having a, a water source for an artist is a big thing, you know, and having their own little space. They're, they're small spaces, but it's nice. And, and the... Uh, Uh, And it's a comfortable space too. So and each artist is also, you know, like David has been doing some great things with the Fort Hamilton high school students. And he's been doing after school programs, and they've been doing little pop up shows themselves, and he gives them agency. And that's been really nice. And he has this daily life project that he's doing, where there's a bulletin board outside of the space that he just changes and puts work up for people to respond to.
0: Yeah, I think Daily Life is, he kind of curates some of the aspects of that on a Facebook page. We'll have a link to that if anybody wants to check that out or check out the bulletin board on 78th Street between 5th Avenue and 4th Avenue. At this point, it sounds like it all started with that one exhibit in the carriage house. But since then, there's been things happening at Owls Head, at other spaces, at Stand Four, of course, and just more and more people getting involved. Do you think that Bay Ridge is kind of special? Is this just the way the art world works?
1: I think it is special. And actually, one of the things that we discovered as artists is there are a lot of artists living here. Hmm. They don't necessarily work here because there's not a lot of industrial space or studio space, but there are a lot of artists that live in this neighborhood. So through Stand, Owls Head, all of these connections there's a lot of artists coming together and now working together and collaborating.
2: Yeah, and I think being an artist, it's very solitary. A lot of artists spend time in their studios. And um, I'm realizing now more than ever that that connection and that collaboration feeds my practice so much and I grow so much. And I think that I've really benefited from this community of artists and it really feels like a family and it feels really safe. And I think that especially with what Janine created at Stand, and I'm going to be having a show there in the fall seems like a very safe place to experiment and try different things with my practice. And I feel like that safety net allows me to take chances and do things in the outside world that I don't know if I would have had the like confidence or felt as safe to do that. By collaborating, we've been meeting so many generous people. I know. That's the most amazing thing. Because of Stand and BioBat. that network of people just has been blowing my mind and exposing me to new things. And I think in the last year, like we've grown so much because we're meeting so many incredible like scientists and artists and educators and philosophers and people like you guys doing all these Mm -hmm. amazing projects. This is a really special time in Bay Ridge right now because the art community really is solidifying so, so much. Yeah. And uh, we're all collaborating and benefiting and it, it feels really special. This neighborhood... The art community in this neighborhood feels different to me than other communities, for it, sure. It feels, I don't know, I think the
1: generosity is a big thing.
2: Yeah. And feeling supported. Mm-hmm. And also, when we go through adversity, when negative things happen, you just, like, pick yourself up quicker, and you pivot quicker, and when you have people to talk to about mm-hmm. your creative process, you just, it's a catalyst. You grow so much quicker.
1: There's so much collaborating going on, I'm like, you know, I want to make mm-hmm. sure I mention everybody, yeah. too, you know? Yeah. And like Because <laughs> I know even Elena, like, like did we talk about a safe space, mm-hmm. like she's going to be doing her solo show in September at Stand. I like the idea of Stand being a place for people to experiment.
2: Yeah, because for my work, I'm a painter, and I make work about environmental degradation. I use mixed media and collage and oil. And I've been really wanting to break outside the 2D format for a long time, but haven't really had the courage to do it or figured out a way to do it. Because of Stand, I connected with an artist, Tatiana Orosha, who Janine has exhibited and worked with. And she said that she would be happy to curate my show and work with me. So I feel like for my upcoming show in the fall, I'm going to be working with Janine and Tatiana, and those feel like two really safe people to work with and collaborate with and experiment with. And I feel like I'm benefiting so much from Stand. Plus, I was thinking about how much I benefit from not having to go into the city or go to Bushwick or go all the way to Gowanus. Like there's really substantial art programming happening right here in the neighborhood. And you know, when everyone's working long days, sometimes it's really exhausting to have to travel 30, 40 hour to get somewhere. And to the fact that I can walk around the corner and go to stand and see like amazing artists from the Amazon. I mean, the the caliber
1: of artists that Janine brings in is incredible. Tatiana was also in the first show, Reconceived Notions. And from that show, she brought in a group of artists from the Amazon. And that was an amazing show too. So it was like, they all did a residency in the Amazon. And there was a musical component yeah, to that. Yeah, there was. Which was, it was unc- percussion band. And I, I mean, I was I pinching myself. I, I remember like, like a myself. video <laughs> installation. <laughs> I
2: was like, this is happening in Bay Ridge? Like yeah. this is here? Yeah, yeah, it was
1: just really exciting. And Mike Klima, who she collaborated with, he did a great job with that too. So she's coming back to curate Elena's show. We've been working with Tatiana she does these little picnics around about climate change. Annalise Jensen has been doing the same thing. And so there's a lot of that happening. Saw so was a big connection to... Storefront Art Walk. Storefront Art Walk that John Evoluto had organized for seven years.
2: And Janine and I worked together on that. And Molly Flanagan yeah. worked together. And Isabel Garbani. And I think that we had so much fun that we knew... When Janine and I launched BioBat Art Space, I was not at all worried, can
0: Janine and I work
2: together? We've been
0: working together and collab for a a long time. Right. Well, let's uh, switch gears a little and talk more about BioBat. This is actually a gallery in the Brooklyn Army Terminal. How did you find out about the space? And can you tell me more about that? Yes. So I'll mention another Bay Ridge artist who also has a space,
1: Ellen Coleman Izzo, and she has print space on Senator Street. And she's got a printing press there and she does these first Fridays and she opens it up to the community. So she's doing a lot of great things too. So Ellen, she introduced me to the director of Biobat. It's a biotech company and they sublease to biotech companies. And they wanted to bring in art into the lobby space, which was kind of set up as a gallery. Hmm. And they wanted to bring education in and community. And I have a background as an art educator and when I sat down with them, I was very interested when I saw the space because it's 3,000 square feet. Of, there's
2: 20-foot uh, ceilings. Yeah. It
1: is on the waterfront, and there's
2: waterfront views. The light is beautiful. Yeah, it's an amazing the design, space. the architects that created the
1: lobby, it's like a very substantial art space, yep. just raw. It took up a few months, and I it, I got back to them in September, and they said, we want to open a show in January. So then I was really overwhelmed. Which is mm. not a lot of time. No, it's not, the not the a lot of time yeah. to do a show for this size. And also size. to
2: launch a new space. Yeah.
1: So all of these people I've been talking about, a lot of them I run with on a regular basis. So I was running with Elena one day and I was talking to her about this space and I said, I'm overwhelmed. I don't think I could do this. And she's running alongside me and she's like, I'll help you. I'll help you. And I was like, okay. (laughs) And then it was uh, great. And so it was great because Elena took it and ran with it.
0: Elena, what made you want to get involved? Had you done anything like
2: this before? I had attended a couple of conferences through LIGO Projects. That was a SciArt conference. And I follow SciArt Initiative. And I'm very much interested in artists that are dealing with the intersection of science and art. And earlier that summer, I was in Houston in a two-person show. And at that show, I was approached to see if I'd be interested in launching an art space in an old motel. So my partner and I, who lives in Houston, we put together this really comprehensive five-year business plan, and it went through many, many rounds, and I had invested a lot into it. That really sparked something in me where I'm like, wow, it'd be really fun to run an art space. And before that, I had never really thought about doing anything like that. And ultimately, long story short, the project stalled, and nothing really happened with it, and I think ultimately – the Owner of the property wasn't 100% convinced that we could pull it off. So I was feeling very sad that this project hadn't taken mm. off because I invested so much in it. Right. And that's where community comes in handy because Janine Bardo, Isabel Garbani, Tamara Zahaevich, Annalisa Jensen, they took me to Tanareen. They like nursed my wounds. They like helped me process what was going on. They were like, don't worry. And ultimately, When Janine said that she had this opportunity to potentially do something with an art space, I jumped on it because I had wanted to do that so, so bad. And I had the business plan, and I had had
1: everything She had had everything everything right there. there. It was like the timing couldn't have been more perfect.
2: Yeah, so I just took
1: basically what I wanted to do in Houston, and a lot of those elements transferred over to Biobat. She just brought this whole thing to a new level. So we curated the first show Mm -hmm. in January. We got some really great artists, and we just did it. And we had no idea it was just going to like take off the way it did.
2: And I thought that it was brilliant. The idea of having sci-art programming in the lobby of a biotech lab, like there's a biotech renaissance emerging. And I thought that there's a lot of philosophical debates that can happen between those two intersections. And I was very excited. So Janine and I, when we launched, our only goal was that the artists are happy with the show and the turnout. And we were just really concerned about the artists feeling like it was worth their while because we had an artist coming all the way from L.A. shipping work, and it was right around the holidays. It was super cold. We're on the water waterfront. We didn't want to disappoint the artists who were taking a chance on exhibiting with us in a new space that hadn't ever been launched. And then when we had the opening and we had a packed house, yeah. Janine and I were like, wait, what? <laughs> we, and we were shocked when people were saying to us, you know, there are hardly any brick and mortar spaces entirely dedicated to the intersection of science and art. This one woman was like, do you know what you did? Like, do you know what you launched? And we were like, no, we didn't. I think my entire focus was on the artists and feeling like
1: we didn't let them down. We're both artists that really like science. We do a lot of research in our own work.
2: Science Times is a big inspiration. So
1: it's like, we it seemed like a natural fit, but then we didn't realize there was a whole sci-art community. Like there's, it's a movement. It's a a a movement. I think it's the newest. It's going to be the art movement now. In this world that we're living in, The way things are changing, climate change, this is where it's going. Collaborating with scientists, asking a lot of good questions.
2: And we really believe that the merger of science and art could really solve a lot of issues of tomorrow. There's a lot of innovation that can happen and thinking about 21st century issues and solutions. And the concepts behind the work and artists that we're dealing with are very interesting.
0: Uh, You mentioned the business plan that you wrote for the gallery in Houston. What does a business plan for an art gallery look like? And is it really different from any other kind of business? I think that they are
2: very similar. Like I definitely was looking at other types of business plans that then I adapted for an art space. Basically the way we did it was we broke it down first year, third year, five year and estimated revenue, like where we'd get funding, different levels of support. We wrote our mission, vision, values. Financially it was very in depth, but it was also very in depth in our goals and figuring out what, needs the community had and then trying to fill those needs so a lot of research went into like demographics and thinking of the space as a community
1: space for not just art but for local organizations and one example is we are working with elisa gutierrez who's curating the 2020 spring show and she's bringing Mexican sci artists here and it's going to be a bilingual show. There's going to be musical performances outside
2: Sunset Park where the gallery is located is predominantly Mexican and Mexican American and we wanted to have culturally relevant programming for them. And so I think by having shows and events that happen on Saturdays that are open to the families that are free yeah. um you know that was really important to us and last Saturday we connected with this group Mixteca And their goal is to help recent immigrants who just came to Sunset Park. And we had a big tour group come through on Saturday at BioBat. And they met artist Lori Fredette. And we had a translator. And they were asking her questions about her work. I think they gave Lori Fredette a lot of things to think about. And they brought like a real spiritual component to questions about her work. It's important for a thriving art space to have views from all different areas of life. Even children. Like we have preschool kids come through. And they say really brilliant things and you'd be surprised. Like,
1: Yeah. There's two pre-Ks in the Brooklyn Army Terminal. So we're working with one of them. They came into the first show and some of the questions that they were asking were just like, the one thing about art, people make connections to their world. They bring themselves to the art and they ask questions, but then they make connections, especially when you see kids making it. They're making connections to all the learning and their own personal world. And they have no problem asking those questions. That's what's great about kids. It's like, I know the adults are thinking the same thing, but they're just afraid to ask, you know, but the kids are like, oh, what, you know, what is that? That looks like a, that looks like a bubble or something. You know,
2: they just it, ask. One of them was even making the connection between water
1: droplets yeah. and there was like, it looks like sound wave." Yeah,
2: like sound waves. It, sound See? waves. Because the water yeah. was, yeah,
1: it's like kind of like sound waves. They were making all of these.
2: Amazing just- <laughs> connections. And now yeah. we know that when we have preschool kids come through or any big groups, it's important that the artists are local to come be
1: there mm-hmm. to hear the feedback and responses because you don't want it just to be Art Insiders because that's a little bubble that you, you know, like it's you want art out there, you want broader audience in the community for Mm -hmm.
0: sure. You mentioned that you provide a lot of family programs and open to everybody in the community for free. So how does the gallery support itself?
2: Biobat is a 501c3. And since they have been generous enough to donate their lobby to us, we can use them as our fiscal sponsor for applying Mm -hmm. for grants and funding and Biobat was very generous in that they donate their lobby and they gave us a very nice budget to launch our first show. And we're in the process of fundraising. And a lot of it is Janine and I, you know, like our educational programming that we do at the preschool, that was just Janine. A lot of it is just people donating their time and energy. And hopefully over time, we're going to grow. But I'm really confident that we can, because I think that we're doing really innovative, interesting things at the gallery, and I think
1: it plays an important role, and we've gotten so much support. And, you know, we have a tendency to forget that we opened in January.
0: Yeah, it already seems like a neighborhood institution to it me, does. and it
1: just seems like for the short amount of time that we've been there, now we're looking at fundraising and doing all of this. That's a lot of work. On top of the fact that Janine and I are doing the artistic programming and directing, and we do the
2: install, like, this is like a two-person show. The entire space is just Janine and I. So we're always looking for support from other organizations.
0: And it seems like a institution already. I went to the opening for summation in absence, and it was full. Just people coming and talking to artists. Also, like I think you can see the Brooklyn Army Ferry like from the gallery if yes. you look out the
2: window. It's very and that helps because people love, especially in the summer, taking the ferries. And it leaves you a couple hundred yards from the gallery. So yeah. even though it seems like it's in a remote destination, people once they've been there find that it's very easy to access. Have you gotten a lot of people coming from
0: other parts of the city?
2: Yeah, we yeah. had people at our opening. For from Jersey. We even had a woman from Cornell, and she took a five-hour bus to get yeah. there because there aren't that
0: many exhibition
2: opportunities for artists dealing with the realm of science and art. And we were just shocked that for our second show, we have bio art pioneer Suzanne Anker, who's launched the SV, the School of Visual Arts, Bio Art Lab, which is one of the only labs that's specifically for artists to play and tinker in. And then we have Elaine Whitaker. She's a very well-known bio art artist from Canada. She just recently had a show at the Pompidou Center in
1: Paris. So now we're getting like international artists. That show, Summation and Absence, is curated by Eddie Yanov and Christina Macy. Who are incredible. They're incredible artists in their own right, but they're also like this dynamic duo of curators. Eddie Yanov has Art Spiel,
2: which is an art publication. And Christina Macy has Women of art blog. So they have extraordinary influence. And one thing that I think is really nice is that this is artists running an art space. Mm-hmm. We know how we want to be treated when we're installing and working with galleries. And we really roll out like the red carpet as much as we can for them. Because, you know, Janine and I, we do the installs. So it's very intimate to be installing an artist's work with them and yeah. see how they hang everything and work with them and collaborate with them and we always have lunch with them. So it's amazing because we get to form these really deep relationships with the artists that we're working with and it really feels like the Biobat family and the first artist from our first show very much intermix with the artists from our second show and it's just a growing community around people who are interested in science and art.
1: Everyone's been so open and generous. That's where things really kind of explode. That's when the world can be better. Yeah. They want things to grow. They're so much more than just exhibiting artists. They're supporting
2: us and talking to us about what we're struggling with and helping us. BioBat is run entirely by women. So the president of BioBat is Eva Kramer. The executive director is Kathleen Oto, and Janine and I are women, and we've been exhibiting a lot of really phenomenal women. So it really feels like women supporting women, and it's kind of an amazing yeah. Yeah. project.
0: Since both art and science are stereotypically they male-dominated, are stereotypical. it's pretty organic. It's not like we set out to- No,
1: just, we would never- Yeah, not it. at all. It just naturally happened that way. I think what you were just saying, how science is so stereotypically male, but the scientists we're meeting- A lot of them A lot of them are, are women. I was so surprised by how many women are in this field. And that's really unfortunate, the idea of the scientist as being a male thing.
0: Uh, I went to both of these exhibits. The one that started in January was the Spontaneous Emergence of Order. And the one that's on view now is the Summation and Absence. Did these have very different themes or did they come together differently?
1: They came together differently. The first one, our idea with that was to have artists that their practice and their process is a lot like the scientific process.
2: And that show came together in a really serendipitous way. We were basically just compiling names of artists to, we thought were making innovative work. So we have like our top five lists of artists that we wanted to work with. And when they all said yes, we're like, okay, well, now we're going to think of a title and a theme and figure out how this is all going to come together. And I think that's one of the reasons why we called it Spontaneous Emergence of Order, because it seemed like all the artists were organizing a chaotic System and Mm -hmm. finding order in data, either if it was macro or micro, they were trying to make sense of the world around them. That show came out organically because we were just trying to get a sense of the lay of the land and what artists we wanted to work with, and it was limited time. And then Summation and Absence. Eddie Yanov and Christina Macy put together. And one of the reasons why I really wanted to bring in Christina and Etty were they're both sculptors and they both do amazing things with large scale installations. The space is so massive. We really wanted someone who's going to activate the space in a different way. And so I feel like the second show is very different from the first show. And one of the goals that Janine and I have directing the gallery is we want each show to be different and surpass the last one and and change. And we don't want to just keep consistently showing the same types of artists We want to always bring in new blood, new people.
0: That's so interesting that they're both uh, sculpture artists because I was going to say the second exhibit seems like there's more pieces that are about form and suggestion of natural shapes or like relationships of images to data points. I like the image that was selected for the summation and absence flyer. You've got Suzanne Anker's remote sensing. They kind of look like Petri dishes, but they they also kind of look like cityscapes or... That's the beauty of them because she's
2: (laughs) constantly playing with natural items mixed with man-made items. So in each Petri dish, she has something from the organic world, like the natural world, and then something... Man made. So you'll see like a beautiful sunflower and then a rubber ducky. And but also the pieces that are the sculptures in the petri dishes, those are 3D printed. And the way they're printed, there's an element where they kind of look like cityscapes. Yeah. The way the printing method happened. And they look very organic. You wouldn't know that they're made with a 3D printer. But it's funny because that so much relates to Mikhail Gavish's DNA piece. Yeah. In certain ways
1: of reading the DNA, it looks like a cityscape. There's
2: like diagrams in that piece. It looked like a vibrant kind of textile with like these lines. The more time I spend with the show, I see so many new connections
1: every day. The process she was using too for the 3D printing. It's a technology that's used in warfare. It's kind of like an overhead drone that can assess Yeah, that you can assess a, a difficult landscape. That's another connection she makes. There's a lot of layers in her work. All of the artists have so many layers in the work. The more you look at it, it's pretty impressive. Suzanne Susanna Anker has written many books on bio art, and yeah. she's a real
2: pioneer. And I would encourage everyone to get her books or watch her talks on YouTube.
0: She's fascinating. That's what's fun about this art. You could deep dive into the sciences and art and technique. Is there anything you would want somebody to know about this exhibit, Summation and Absence, before heading over to Biobat? When you first come in, you see Lori Fudette's tender exchanges hanging from the ceiling,
1: and you can actually walk through a forest of brain neurons. It's like, you don't really want people to... I
2: think the cold read is good. I
1: kind of like watching people come in yeah. and just look at the art,
2: and then I like when they do the second read, and then they yeah. read the labels. And I mean, you can enjoy the show without having any understanding of science at all. And I think it's important for people to know that this work is not just data visualization. They're not just taking science ideas and like translating them into art. They're taking the art in a place where science can't go sometimes because science can have limitations. You
1: can get poetic. For example, Laurie Fredette and her, the brain neurons, like it came from the father of neuroscience and his illustrations, but it also came at the same time she was reading The Secret Life of Trees. And so all of those connections were being brought in to this work.
0: Have you had any feedback from the scientists that work in Biobat? We have. And we actually had an interesting thing come up with Elaine Whitaker's work.
2: And this is why it's incredible to be a science art gallery in a biotech lab, because Elaine Whitaker did these really stunning pieces called Screen 4, where it's a self-portrait of the artist with a medical mask. And on the medical mask, it's painted different viruses. The mask is a metaphor for a canvas. And she's talking about the psychology and fear behind Pandemics and disease. And the scientists and the people who run BioBat, they very much felt that it could be misleading because they thought she was communicating that these viruses were respiratory viruses. And they were very Mm. concerned because we're an educational space as well as an art space that we would be misinforming the public. So in that exhibition, there's a note, there's a disclaimer saying this is an artistic rendition, should not be used for any sort of medical diagnostics because they're connected to SUNY Downstate and they're also an educational and medical institution. They have to be very, very careful. So there was a lot of behind the scenes, interesting debates that no one got to hear between Janine and I, And the president of BioBat and everyone involved talking about the merit of the artwork and if it's accurate and where poetics end and what is an artist's responsibility to be scientifically accurate. And Elaine Whitaker is a very accomplished artist who has a very in-depth knowledge of science. And this was a poetic choice and she knew exactly what she was communicating. And of course, Elaine Whitaker is a lovely woman and very supportive and didn't have a problem with it. And she was very gracious.
1: One of the concerns, too, is that, you know, we have a measles epidemic here in New York City. That's a concern for the medical field. They don't want to misinform the public. So there is a debate that has to be had, I think. And, it,
2: and, and the fact that there was this much debate over that piece just confirmed that I think it's a very, very yeah, successful
1: I, piece. I love the, I, I kind of love the idea that there was a debate. And it yeah. continues, you know. With, yeah, we still are talking yeah. about it now.
0: Elena, you said that you're very interested in art administration. This experience in Houston kind of like opened up this new part of yourself that you maybe didn't even know about before.
2: Yeah, well, I think it's something that I don't naturally get to do with my studio practice. If I was like a very, very, very accomplished artist doing these large scale projects, maybe I'd use those skills. But I love coming up with large scale visions and execute them and breaking down how you get there. And I really do enjoy grant writing. And I've love supporting other artists and so when i got to do those things a part of me felt very
1: fulfilled i'm, I'm laughing because like sh- most
2: I, people they, don't like this yeah, stuff the, but for some reason the administrative I do.
1: stuff elena takes that on and i'm like the grunt i'm the grunt work and i no, love is
2: masterful at installation anything I with love the doing phys- that. she's yeah. really great with the
1: physicality
2: of yeah. the space and lighting and the install she's like masterful at and an 18 foot ladder drilling with her opposite hand i mean we're yeah. really well suited we partners because yeah. The things that Janine would not want to do, I really like to do, and the things that she does that I would never want to do, she does. And I think Janine's perfect because Janine reigns me in sometimes. She's like, "Oh, Lena, patience." Because I'm kind of like, "We have to do it. We have to do it now." And I get kind of like, "Patience. This will grow. We will get there." So I think personality. Yeah, we 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 really are
1: well suited. We really are. We have. It's almost comical. I know.
2: And I just want to add that I think that the curating is very much an extension of our own art practices. Yeah. And I see it as one
1: whole ecosystem. And It's definitely, it's been a very positive experience for both Absolutely. of us. Absolutely. Yeah.
0: Since we are an audio medium and you guys are visual artists, could you describe your art a little bit? Where your practice is right now? Sure. So I started out
2: as a traditional landscape painter who for many, many years enjoyed hiking and painting and in nature and doing on-site urban landscapes, and about three, four years ago, I started feeling uncomfortable romanticizing the landscape because I felt like I was not representing the 21st century landscape, which is extremely degraded and problematic and in peril, and we have this climate crisis amongst us, and I felt like I wasn't in dialogue with other artists and our time, and I had to reevaluate what I was doing with my whole practice, and I kind of had an existential moment where I just kind of put the brakes on what I was doing, and I started experimenting and playing around and I was teaching a class on collage. And so I was like, you know what? I'm just going to play around and start collaging on top of one of my old paintings. And I had a very traditional landscape that was painted with oil on panel. And I started playing around with collaging in discarded magazines and newspapers. And I'm like, wow, there's something really interesting happening where the natural landscape, which was painting oil in juxtaposition to these like collage materials, really looked like waste. And then I started painting on top of the collage and putting shadows and making it seamless with the landscape. And so I started this whole ecocide series about environmental degradation. They're traditionally painted landscapes with collage and debris and detritus. And because of that, then I started really following climatologists and learning about marine pollution and drought and getting into like the socio-political stuff of climate change and the politics that create it. So tomorrow, I'm actually going to a climate panel discussion at Christie's on environmental art. And it just kind of opened up this world. So I've been following artists that deal with science and ecology very
1: closely. So I would say that's how the science kind of connects to my work. My work has always been about our connections with the natural world and how poorly we treat what's given to us. I have a real love for science and politics. And this is stuff that I read all the time. And it makes its way into my work. But a long time ago, I've always been a lover of trees, and they became kind of a metaphor for us, although they're kind of a more benevolent. I found something human in the trees. Of course, we always like to bring ourselves to something else, you know, but um, I just, I don't know what it is. I have some sort of connection. And even when I draw them and I, and I'm around them, I feel like there's some sort of communication happening. Call me crazy, but. Um, I won't
0: call you crazy. <laughs> I, I frequently like, I'm just talking to trees. I'm like, that's a great tree. Yeah. You know, sometimes I I smack down. I'm like, you're not showing enough appreciation for that (laughs) tulip tree. It's not easy supporting the moth population. You know, I know there's so much. I mean, there's really like when you know
1: of the science of trees. When you really delve into what trees are doing in this, you can't even believe it. Like, and you read it and it sounds like this fictional like, place that you're going to. I'm kind of a like, voracious reader of all of this and it ends up coming back into my work.
0: Does it ever get competitive? Aren't you fighting for the same gallery space or buyer interest or grants or things like that? The more we all succeed, we all lift each other up and the
2: opportunities for grants actually goes up because let's say someone gets a big grant, then when I apply, they can be my reference. We all share our collective skills yeah. to try to help elevate everybody. So we wanted to activate the neighborhood in which we live. The more people that open up spaces and do things, the better. The more, yeah. Let's say another gallery opens up in Bay Ridge. That would actually be excellent because then they can go to stand. And yeah. then people from other neighborhoods have another reason to go to another gallery. The same thing in the Brooklyn Army Terminal. People are like, oh,
1: God, now there's all these arts and creative people coming it only elevates us. I will say, though, it is unfortunate that we do have to do so much grant writing and that there's not more money put into the arts. You're listening to us talk about community and how much is being built and how much is being offered, right? And this is all done with blood, sweat, and tears, right? Yeah. No one's given us money for this. Think about a, even a little bit of funding, how far it could go. This is something that could really benefit everyone in the community if it had a little bit more. And that's what I just find it really unfortunate that our society doesn't invest in the arts as much.
0: Do you have any advice for uh, maybe younger artists or artists that, you know, are really into that isolative part of their work and like, don't feel connected to a community? Yeah, I would say
1: I felt like an outsider in the art community. I think you have to really find the right people to have a community with. You have to really build your own community. I think that that's the major thing. Just do it yourself. Build your own space. Build it around people that are going to be generous and it's not as much of a competition. As an athlete, I'm a competitor. It's not like I don't believe in certain kinds of competition, but I think there's so much more that can happen when you work together with people and you feel more secure, you can grow much better.
2: One of the most important things that I wish I had known is instead of trying to find an existing, very developed art community and tap into that, because you didn't help build it, those aren't your peers, those aren't your friends. I think the best thing to do is to find people in your neighborhood, near you, in your community who are doing like-minded things and build those relationships. And then you build your community from those relationships and it grows and grows and grows. And then that's your network, right? When young artists try to jump too far outside their network, they feel like they're not being received well or like people aren't opening doors for them. It's very hard to be an artist in New York City. People are wearing a lot of hats. And unless... They really know who you are, and there's a reason for them to be communicating. It, like There's not enough time in the day to build all those relationships, so people have to be very selective of who they work with, who they give opportunities with. So I think making work that's really true to who you are helps you attract the right people, focusing on helping other artists and connecting other people and not think about something that's self-serving. Focus on creating a community, I would say.
0: Yeah. Uh, the current exhibit at BioBat Art Space is called Summation and Absence. How long is that up for, Janine? That'll be up until August 16th. We're having a closing party on that day. And if somebody's coming from Bay Ridge,
1: how do they get there? You can drive there and park right in front of the place, go through the Brooklyn Army Terminal. You could take a ferry and you can take the R-Train. 259th street and then walk down towards the water.
0: If you're on 58th and 1st, I think you have to walk down the path along the left side of the building and around and the yeah. gallery faces the water. So you're walking directly all the way on down the, water, down to the of, water. and it's the opposite side of the ferry. So the
2: art space will be on the left and the water will be on the right. And it's the opposite end of the parking lot.
0: When's the next
1: exhibit at stand four? Okay. So we have Elena Sotorakis is going to have a solo show there. And that's going to open on Thursday, September 19th. It's going to be curated by Tatiana Arosha. Mid-November, Isabel Garbani is curating a show of Middle Eastern artists. In spring of 2020, Annalise Jensen is going to have a solo show, and she's going to be doing some community work in the backyard, all of the work that she's done with Vice South Brooklyn as well. But she's doing a lot of community work. It's almost going to be like a culmination for her, like that she could bring it all home. I know Isabel Garbani has been trying to do a Wikipedia event. We'll probably have something like that during the and summer. And that's
2: where she takes, um, she has people uh, add entries to Wikipedia of female artists.
0: Hmm. Mm-hmm. Great, we'll have to keep in touch and make sure to retweet that and Stanford Gallery is right in Bay Ridge on 78th Street between 4th Avenue and 5th Avenue. You can check it out. Is it open most weekends? When we have a show up
1: we will Keep it open on Saturdays, but um, if somebody wanted to come and see the space and talk to me and have a visit, they could contact me on the website. What's your website?
0: www.standconnect.com. Great, and our Facebook, Instagram. Facebook and Instagram. Yes. Well, thank you for coming in today, guys. We've had a real wide-ranging discussion, answered a lot of questions that I had about how arts work in Bay Ridge, and it's been a pleasure to have you in the studio today. Thank you for coming. Oh, thank, thank you, you, Mary. Just this was such is a great. treat. Yeah. Great, thank you. (laughs) And as always, stay free, Bay Ridge.